when I got the Hashimoto's diagnosis, it then became like this manifestation of everything about myself was what if I do it? I need to do it harder. I need to do it faster. I need to do more of it. I need to take control of it. And it was really that control piece of I need to be the one who's cooking my food. I need to make sure I know what's going into it. I need to control every single thing about the supplements that I'm taking. I need every single other lab I could possibly be doing. I need to be removing anything I can. So everything that was working, and then you multiply that by a thousand. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show, episode number 293 of the Health Detective Podcast, slowly but surely creeping up on episode 300. I'm going to be exciting. Feels really cool to have that many. I was looking something up the other day, and it said like 80 or 90% of podcasts never make it past episode 20. Um, and for anyone out there in the health space that's, you know, motivated to create one, I say, go freaking create it, man. Like the, the fact that people don't get to 20, that's a choice. That's not because of something that you don't have. My first podcast ever got the phone, just started recording on that. Sounded like crap and the listenership uh, reflected that, but you know, you got to start somewhere um, and just keep showing up and it's cool. So uh, we're excited to be doing this live and then you guys will be also listening on the audio version. I have with me today, fellow FDN practitioner, Carly Faye Lowenthal. She is a master level NLP certified life coach and FDN, like I mentioned. Uh, she runs a brain-based trauma-informed business where she takes her clients on a transformational journey to reclaim the personal power hidden in their layers of symptoms to unlock a future of endless possibilities as they level up on the other side. Carly specializes in supporting women who struggle with disordered eating and uses a variety of support tools like functional lab testing, subconscious reprogramming, and personalized coaching. She is also certified as a master in NLP, quantum time techniques and hypnosis, very interesting, and holds a master of science in education with 12 plus years of experience as an educator. Carly, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. All right, glad to have you today. So much to dissect in so little time. I was super fascinated by uh, the disordered eating thing in particular, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. How I want to start the show, and you said you had listened to a few, so hopefully this is not a surprise. Uh, same question every time. I always like to know what the person that we're interviewing has dealt with. When did your health symptoms start and what did they look like? This is where I think my story is a little different than everyone else's because I had already signed up and was working with FDNs. So it was kind of like, you know, when you're watching a movie and it's a scary movie and you know, the killer is like literally like right here. And the person that they're trying to attack is like standing there mm -hmm. and everyone in the audience is like, go upstairs, like run, what are you doing? Like all of a sudden I kind of realized like I was the person in that movie who was just standing there. And as soon as I realized that I started feeling everything that I hadn't been feeling the whole time. So. I got interested in working on my gut health because I was feeling very flat and apathetic and mom had started to learn about the connection between gut health and mental health. And so it was as I was working through the layers of my physical health that I started to actually feel my physical health. And I had didn't realize that I'd been numbing myself out for decades. And it was almost like out of curiosity that I wanted to get started. So I didn't actually realize that my symptoms were symptoms until I started feeling my symptoms. And that was, it's like the healing crisis type of aspect of it. Okay. I mean, I'm always interested in this, especially with women, because I feel like, you know, males and females have these different gifts. And I, I feel generally speaking <laughs> that one of the gifts that females have is this, the emotional side and the empathy and the caring for others. And so when it shuts off, even for you guys or you girls, I think that shows that something really has happened um, that went wrong here. So what led to this total shutdown, if I can ask, of just kind of almost a safety, a safety mechanism, right? That's why we shut down. So we don't have to experience this stuff. What was going mm -hmm. on that led to that? Yeah. And I was, to be 
fair. I was dipping in and out of that. So I was kind of known as being a little sensitive as a, a kid. And I would probably say I'm a highly sensitive person, but it started, it was more manifesting as feeling other people's emotions and more um, sensitivity and sensitivity, like overwhelm where like, there's just so much going on, like loud noises and choices that I want to be making aren't being taken away from me. And um, sensory, just sensory overload really would manifest into more of the emotional side of things rather than it being an emotional experience as the root. But um, a lot of stuff happened to me in a very short time around the time that I was 18, 19, 20, and uh, going to college and on my own at the same time. And um, I had a lot of family members who were dealing with depression and uh, ADHD was running in my family as well. And so there was just, it was like the amount of stuff that happened at the same time. I had a friend um, who who passed away suddenly in her sleep. I had um, some traumatic stuff happen with one of my high school teachers. I had um, September 11th, I was, I lived about 40 minutes away from the towers. And so my town was hit very hard. One of my neighbor's son was in the tower, a friend's father was in the tower, someone else's mother, my my neighborhood was hit almost harder than any, I think it was actually statistically harder than any of the na- other neighborhoods. And it was again, it was like one of those. I was probably I remember walking in the hallway with one of my friends as we were finding out what was happening. And I'm I, like, I remember just saying to her, I don't know, like, this just doesn't affect me the same way it affects other people when I hear about things like this. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was happening to me. It was happening around me, which is somewhat true. But then there was just a whole bunch of other stuff that was happening at the same time. And so at some point in college, I realized that like something just felt off and I did get blood work done. I was really tired all the time. That was something that has was pretty chronic. I mean, that was something if you talk to my mom, she's like, you're, you're always tired. You're always tired. Like as a kid, I was tired. I was either playing at a hundred thousand percent or sleeping. <laughs> like th- that was it. No in between. And so um, when I started realizing that I was really tired at that point, I was really ca- catastrophizing things. So I remember I lost like disposable cameras that were really important when I was pledging a sorority and that in my mind was like nobody's gonna want to be friends with me because I lost these cameras that we need the pictures for and I like spent days in bed over these cameras and I remember when I told my sorority my pledge sisters it was not a big deal at all but so that was probably the culmination of realizing something's off I don't feel right I'm really tired the things that I'm making to mean something are really huge the things that I'm not making to mean any no the other way around the things that I'm making a big deal were really insignificant things. And, and the things that I quote unquote should have been responding to, I was really neutral and numb to. Hmm. And so at that time I did um, book an appointment with a psychiatrist and um, between three to four years, not even, I think it was two to three years, I was diagnosed with like depression, ADHD, an anxiety disorder, um, CPTSD, and none of those things that I really actually get an explanation. I didn't know to ask for an explanation. It's like, okay, I'm diagnosed with, with this. That's okay. That's another pill. What pill do I take for that? <laughs> and that was pretty much it. I was put on all these medications. I did a little bit of talk therapy here and there, but it always kind of like, it, it didn't feel like it was getting me anywhere. And then eventually I just stopped doing all those things and spent the next like 10, 12 years on the medications, not really questioning anything, just thinking that that's how things go. Um, when I did the blood work for the fatigue, it came back quote unquote normal, but it had showed that I had had, I forget if it was mono or Epstein-Barr virus at some point. And then that was like, it. there was no follow-up. I didn't know to ask for anything follow-up. And I think part of that was just because there was such a huge long history of depression and ADHD in my family. It was like, yep, you were the next in line. <laughs> like, in your family, then, it sounds like, was this something that was talked about and discussed? Because I know for many people, sometimes they might only find out later or in hindsight that, yeah, grandpa and grandma had this too. But it sounds like you were almost aware of this with the next in line thing. So was it something talked about in your family? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I, I knew of one of my family members who was suffering with suicidal uh, thoughts and um, things like that, that was it's like, again, it was just normal. Like it was just a part of my daily routine. So I didn't really realize that that's not normal for other people. 
to have a family member who's going through that. And then like another family member who is maybe a little checked out and, you know, the focus of, of the family turns to the, the person who's like the most checked out. So I was probably checked out and didn't know I was checked out. (laughs) Well, yeah, when we're living in all this stuff, I mean, I've dealt not with everything that you've said, but certainly the depression and anxiety, it's very, it's almost hard to comprehend that you're living differently because eventually this stuff does become normal. And so even when, just to go back one uh, second, even when you did get the diagnosis and now you get put on these pills, I understand that you can relate to other family members, but correct me if I'm wrong, I would still imagine that initially there's got to be some type of disappointment or shock, right? Like, holy crap, I have like all this stuff. It it wasn't just- I was really embarrassed by the ADD diagnosis. That was something I didn't want to talk about. I didn't want anyone to know about, but I also was very grateful at the time for the medication because it was allowing me to, I felt a little bit more functional when I was on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really understand. I mean, but also I was put on a ridiculously high dose and my anxiety like really got ramped up. And Mm -hmm. honestly, at the time didn't, correlate that that was what was causing the anxiety to ramp up because like to me it's like okay the medication's making things better so if things are getting worse in one bucket that must be because it's a completely separate bucket I I didn't know that the two were interrelated and then it's funny because at Thanksgiving I was at my mom's house and I found an old journal where I the entry literally said I think I'm depressed. I Googled the symptoms. I listed out all the symptoms. I'm afraid to tell my mom. I'm not sure why I was afraid to tell her because I knew that people had like, I knew that depression was in my family, but I think the part that, uh, that I didn't want to be another burden for her. Like I didn't want to be something else that she had to worry about or, or like I was going to be the one who was fine. Yeah. It seems to be such a common theme with depression. It's probably, I'm not a psychiatrist myself, but it's probably one of the damn symptoms because I feel like myself and so many others, you get this like image in your head of, oh, I'm, I'm other people will be affected uh, by what I'm experiencing or I, yeah, I don't want to be a burden to them. I don't want them to have mm-hmm. to take care of me in some way. So I get that. You mentioned that there was a 12 year span, uh, roughly it seems, between just starting the stuff, just taking it, not really thinking twice about it. And then if it's 12 years specifically, that implies that something happened that led to maybe an awakening moment here. Um, so why 12 years? What happens that you just go from taking the medication, not necessarily thinking too much about it to whatever's next? This is going to seem so strange because I've been thinking about this question for a while. Okay. There's a few things. One is at one point I did start randomly, randomly gaining weight. And so then I did venture into the um, like exercise in my mind, what was cleaning up my diet um, category of things. And that was like, I was really responding really well to that. Mm -hmm. But then even a few years after that, this, this is the part that I think seems kind of strange, but my cat passed away and it was the cat that I had in high school. (laughs) It was like my baby. And I, there must've been something about the emotional reaction that I had to that, that, and like this, I I don't know. I think I I processed this later because it was really significant to me. I processed it later on. And some of the learnings that I got from it was like, it was what allowed me to move on to my the next chapter in my life. And if, and then I applied, I switched schools that I was working at the same school for those 12 years. Mm-hmm. I all of a sudden had the motivation to apply to a different school. And um, just, it sort of was like a new chapter was starting. Sure. And then I was feeling a little bit better because like, oh, hey, I'm being kind of productive right now. Um, I'm at this new school. I really liked the new school. And I was like, okay, well, what else? <laughs> So, okay. So the health just came naturally with all that. You mean like what else, when you say what else, you mean the health side, like looking into this deeper? Yeah. Somebody, um, the, the person that I ended up hiring as my FDN was doing posts on, uh, either she, so she was my beach body coach, which is how I ended up knowing who she was. She was my beach body coach for like five or six years. And I knew that she did FDN work and she was posting about like the gut, my, she was doing a lot of stuff about gut health in the gut microbiome. And so somewhere along the, that trajectory, I did start noticing that I was kind of bloated and like it was, a, I knew I, I knew I was bloated. And so I was, there was in the back of my mind, this curiosity about doing a GI map and, um, and then something that she did just like super resonated with the, how your gut health and your mental health are the bi-directional communication and anxiety can start in the gut. And it was just this, this glimmer for me of like, I haven't explored my physical health in any way, shape or form, really. And why haven't I like, I didn't know at that point, 
why I hadn't. The last time I had was when I'd gotten the blood work in my early 20s. And now I was in my mid 30s. And so, yeah. (laughs) I really appreciate you explaining it that way. And I I mean that seriously, because I think that's actually very relatable. I think this is what most people go through. We just go through our lives. We're not thinking much about anything. And then these little triggers happen. Um, And it's also validating for our practitioners out there because we constantly tell them, you know, post on social, share your information. You never know who's watching, right? Like you were literally Mm -hmm. waiting for something here. It connected for you. And now, holy crap, you're on the podcast. I mean, talk about full circle. I know, it's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, so you end up working with this FDN and uh, what was uncovered when you went through the lab tests. I'm sure it was quite interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, H. pylori was was one of the big hitters. Um, I had H. pylori, um, which if anyone's listening doesn't know, that's a like a gut spiral gut bacteria guy that festers into you. Um, one of the big ones was how low my estrogen was. That was very, that really stood out. Was, that, my GI map wasn't like terrible. It was there was a little bit of dysbiosis. There was some um, autoimmune opportunistic bacteria that did pop up. Um, but at that time, the most significant marker for me was the est- was the low estrogen. And that was so significant to me because the symptoms of it, was, it like really started connecting so many dots for me that, oh, like this isn't just me. This isn't just a personality defect. There's actually something physically going on in my body. Okay, so you went through that experience that uh, quite a few people on the show have gone through. It's validating, right? I yes. think so many people are worried that we're going to run these labs, find something, and then, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. It's like, well, that was in your body regardless, and now at <laughs> least you have something to do about it. So I'd rather I'd rather know and be able to move forward than have ignorance and not know why I feel like crap. So you obviously, I'm, I'm guessing, go through very... Uh, you know, standard FDN protocols, and it was working well. I'm curious about this connection between, all right, so we're, we're teaching, doing the beach body stuff, you have FDN practitioner or beach body coach turned FDN practitioner. <laughs> uh, but then so, at some point, this NLP stuff comes in and the subconscious thing. And I'm very aware, like I said, off air of that genre of, of learning, of teaching, of coaching, because I have quite a few friends that do it and it's very effective stuff. They have quite profound stories. Um, I've had those coaches and friends actually do some stuff on me that I found very interesting. So how did this progress from what is very kind of standard in a certain sense mm-hmm. with the functional labs? I think what I'm saying is most people, even in Western society can comprehend that, okay, you run a lab test. This seems scientific. I run that, whatever. And now you're getting into subconscious reprogramming, which I fully believe in, but that might sound a little farther out to other people. So how did you eventually get into that? Okay. So the same FDN was doing Amy, uh, what's her name? Amy Apigen, who's also an FDN, okay. her trauma course, and was signed up for a subconscious reprogramming course that was coming in a few months after I had signed up with her, which I didn't know about, That I didn't know she was signed up for that course. But at the time when I was doing the, the gut health stuff and, you know, hormone stuff, we also ran a neurotransmitter panel and um, that, that also was like really validating and really eye-opening. And I, I just like so 100% believe that because my body was now starting to feel safe, right? I was calming down the inflammation. I was... I was, um, there was somebody on the other side who I now was working as a team and it wasn't just, I had, there were two FDNs. I was in a group program of two FDNs Mm -hmm. and, um, I started processing one of the questions for, I don't remember if it was the intake form might've start, got the ball rolling, but in the intake form for their program and then followed up with, um, amino acids, uh, neurotransmitter questionnaire before I decided to actually do the neurotransmitter panel Mm -hmm. was this question about um, disordered eating and eating disorder and if you had a past and I said no and it stuck with me like it was really it triggered me so that was one of the first clues that something deeper was happening Um, then I got the estrogen result back and then I started utilizing some of the techniques that they were learning in this trauma course of like parts work and speaking to your body, which also is um, overlaps of subconscious reprogramming. But like I was treating my estrogen as a part of me, like, hey, hey, estrogen, why are you so low? What's going on? Why is this stuff with the eating disorder so triggering when it's been such a long time? And um, I'm in that process, um, realized that I had repressed trauma that was now flooding my, my conscious mind, my body, I was physically feeling the trauma come out. And then I decided to like keep shoving it back in and keep shoving it back in. And 
um, kept doing the health protocols, kept, kept, got more blood work. Um, the blood work revealed that I had an autoimmune condition, which was Hashimoto's. Okay. And by that point, I realized because my FDNs are amazing at their job and had connect the dots about what creates the condition, the perfect storm, as you will, for a manifestation of an autoimmune condition. And I was aware of the fact of the impact of stress, specifically trauma or repressed emotions, being one of the huge markers for an autoimmune condition. And I realized that I'm I'm not going to be a victim to this hmm. to Hashimoto's. Like this is this is it. This is my wake up call, and I need to take it. And because I responded to the diagnosis with a PTSD flare up, it was, and that's when I remembered that I had been diagnosed with PTSD. Like I had forgotten that I was diagnosed with PTSD to begin with. So when all of that happened at once and it was such a, it was like such a scary moment for me when all the other previous labs had been so validating and so reassuring. And this was the opposite. I, I just felt so, and I wanted, like I was looking for something on paper to tell me what was happening because now you add in the fact that I'm shoving down trauma, all of a sudden I'm, developing a histamine flare-up and um so much anxiety and more food intolerances and i'm realizing and starting to make the connection that what i was working on healing i'm now kind of undoing because i'm fighting myself on all these things that i'm starting to learn about myself that i need to now deal with and it was the hashimoto's diagnosis that really helped me to recognize that that this is now manifesting in, in seemingly, un, at my, in my mind at that time, chronic condition that's lifelong. And if I don't get the pieces out of me, out of my conscious and subconscious mind to process why I'm reacting the way that I'm reacting to it and the traumas that I haven't gone into to heal, that things are just going to keep getting worse for me. I followed everything here. The one, th and I'm sorry if I'm misunderstanding it. So the disordered eating thing, when I was asked about that, it triggered you. Are, are you suggesting then, did you deal with that at one point and that's why it was triggering or what? No, it triggered me because I lied about it because I've never actually dealt with it. And so I said, okay. no. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, I'm glad that you didn't deal with it. So I, awesome probably not the right word. There's probably <laughs> about 10 different words that would have been better, but I was particularly interested in that because I know it's something that now you actually help people with, um, with some yeah. of the subconscious reprogramming. And obviously, you know, we could title these podcasts like a million different things. Cause we talk about so much on the show. Uh, but I really wanted to spend some time before we go any deeper in, in this particular area of the story, focusing on this orthorexia thing mm -hmm. and maybe how you help people with this. So I, I'm not looking for the clinical definition necessarily <laughs> here, but for those that don't know what it means to be orthorexic or have orthorexia, what, wh how do you describe that? What does that mean? Um, it is an unhealthy obsession with being healthy. And so it's, it's, it turned, so the unhealed, eating disorder that I had in my past was anorexia. Um, and that was in my college, in the college time. And it sort of went away on its own. Like I, I can't explain, I, I was on medications. I, you know, I joined a sorority. And so in the shoving down and the repressing of the traumas, I no longer needed to cope with the traumas because they weren't on my radar anymore. And then, so you fast forward to the peeling back of the layers of, of my physical health, getting the body in safety. And that red flag, it was a red flag that I didn't know. To, I knew on, on a, some level, like, right, the subconscious level, I knew that that was something that I needed to be aware of because it was triggering me. But when I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's, the stuff that I was doing that was working so well, because I was, everything was healing physically very fast. I was in the best shape of my life. I, I felt better than I'd ever felt within two to three months, not even like, but the first month of doing the health stuff and the protocols, I was on, I, I felt larger than life nice. and that kept going. And so all the stuff that I was doing to heal, when I got the Hashimoto's diagnosis, it then became like this manifestation of everything about myself was, what if I do it? I need to do it harder. I need to do it faster. I need to do more of it. I need to take control of it. And it was really that control piece of 
I need to be the one who's cooking my food. I need to make sure I know what's going into it. I need to control every single thing about the supplements mm -hmm. that I'm taking. I need every single other lab that I could possibly be doing. I need to be removing anything I can. So everything that was working, and then you multiply that by a thousand. And then the main difference about like, where is this a healthy, where is this healthy now? And where are you now crossing the line? Was the fact that it was creating anxiety. So I really, it's the anxiety response. Like if I was walking down a food aisle and there was food that I didn't, like I'd look at the ingredients on a box and get angry and anxious. And um, it was just, that, that was like where my emotions were going was in the controlling of my environment. Wow. Okay. So I think what happens to many of us that go through these health issues and then get into the functional lab testing, uh, this really is an important line to draw because- on paper, you could say, especially from the Western perspective and how they define orthorexia, even if you go into the DSM, some of us could get mislabeled uh, with dealing with this because of that's how Western society looks at it. Mm -hmm. Now, we know better to a degree because some of us really are just so reactive to what's going on in today's world. Like there really was a time that if I had any dairy, if I ate any of this, if I ate any of that, I was so damn sick that break out here, break out there. Like it was awful. And over time, I actually realized I kind of, I kind of shifted too far on the other end. And I, I think that's also a common experience where we actually, we really do need, I don't want to use the word restrictive because people won't like that, but we do need to be exceptionally careful uh, with mm -hmm. what we're eating and consuming for a temporary period to get our health back because it's probably in shambles if we're doing functional lab testing and stuff like that. So that's real. But there's yes. a certain point as the healing occurs where this becomes less and less necessary, less and less real, if you will. And we're still doing the same stuff. Yeah. And I started to realize myself at some point, I'm not claiming that I, I was orthorexic literally. I'm just saying that this is a common experience, I think, for many people in the functional medicine space. There's a certain point where you are feeling good. The symptoms are managed or they don't exist at all. And you kind of wonder, do I need to be as neurotic about this right now, five years into this journey as I was on day one? And you're almost scared to go back because you really don't know to a degree. It's like, well, can I do the dairy again? Can I do this again? Is it back to square one? If I do any of that stuff, we've had these real experiences that scare the crap out of us from going back. And, you know, again, years ago, I wouldn't touch chocolate. I wouldn't touch dairy. I couldn't touch mm -hmm. any of this. I felt like, and I started to slowly, but surely, um, let some stuff back in and like my fiance and I, we eat this like gluten-free pizza and it's, yeah. it, I will say it's an exceptionally well done gluten-free pizza. It's like <laughs> a special place that they do. They named it after her daughter and I guess the daughter oh, has so cool. or whatever. So it, it is damn good ingredients, but it's still pizza, man. And I certainly yeah. eat more than the serving size and I'm fine. Uh, I I'm, was calling okay. it entire food groups and just for the sake. So I, it's one of the defining moments was I had lentils and, um, I was following a specific diet protocol at the time and it said to have lentils and I had lentils and it created a huge uh, cramping. Uh, it was not fun. Mm -hmm. That was real. Like I was really experiencing the cramping and the bloating and the constipation from having the lentils. And because of that experience, I cut out every single grain that I possibly, like I cut out all grains. Mm -hmm. That's, I just decided I can't have grains anymore. Okay. And some, some of the fine, fine lines is this is where a lot of the subconscious reprogramming type of questioning comes in because it's like, for what purpose are you choosing to do that? And, um, you know, a, a lot of those, like for, for, for what purpose is a really good one for what purpose am I choosing to cut out that huge food group? And like, how is it serving me? Right. And it wasn't because there wasn't really a, a, a strong, it was just, that's what, it was such a narrow lens of focus. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point now where you're cutting out beneficial foods to such a degree that actually I ended up giving myself a whole bunch of nutrient deficiencies. Sure. Well, and this can go kind of both ways and, and we'll talk about both of them. But one thing that I, I know to be true is this, again, I experienced this one was taking some of the food restrictions for too long, like way longer mm -hmm. than necessary. And so I saw this thing, and this is crazy. It shows the power of the mind, both positively and negatively. I, solid as can be belief that if I eat any form of dairy other than ghee, which some people don't even fully qualify that as dairy because it doesn't have the proteins, whatever, even, butter, even butter, okay, that's going to break me out around my chin because that's what it always does. And, and sure as hell it did. But weirder than that was there would be these times where if I went out to dinner or something, you know, I ate 
everything that I thought was normal. And then I find out, like, maybe I went to the restaurant two months later because I didn't go out much at that time. But I found out, wait, that thing that I ate had dairy in it, but I didn't break out. Yeah. So I started to realize it was when if I believed something had dairy or if I did literally have dairy, I just had this belief it'd break me out. But if I didn't know I had dairy, it didn't do anything. So have you seen people like that where they literally yeah. get themselves to such a belief that it's not the food, it's it's their mind? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I believe that a, a whole bunch of the food sensitivities that I did, I, I believe a bunch of the food sensitivities for real, like they actually were happening. And then as I was believing that I couldn't tolerate more and more foods, I was creating the minds. I mean, everything that we do our in our body, how does our body know what it's supposed to be doing is from the mind. And so your mind can really convince your body of anything. Yeah. And it kind of goes both ways because now, or not now, but at that time, there was a long period of time where if I had any form of an anxiety response, I'd blame it on food. And then that sort of gave me the secondary gain of, of, have a reason, a, a better quote unquote, better reason that I can't eat the food, then I'm choosing not to eat it because of my own weird rules that I'm yeah. manifesting out of thin air. <laughs> you're a hundred percent correct. We do create these. It, it's a good word. We create weird rules, especially with stuff. Uh, for me, a lot of cystic acne was the case. Now, if you're an FDN and you know anything mm -hmm. about cystic acne, you realize it, it's almost never just one food. There's so much gut stuff going on that's leading to it. So it does seem like everything triggers it. And you you really do validate this to yourself. Like, oh no, yes. this does it, this does it, this does it, this does it. And so it creates this neuroticism around the food. What I want to ask you, I don't mean to ask a what could be a challenging question. Ask but whatever you want. Awesome. It's your area of expertise. And I think a lot of people need to hear this. I have um, some friends that I'm very close to and respect very much that they go the other end with this. They literally believe that any sensitivity, any problem they have can simply be willed away uh, by the belief. Now, the reason I challenge that, but I, I'm not an expert and I don't know where to draw the line. The reason I challenge that is because it's like, okay, if the mind could 100,000% control the body without question, how would we not have had like a monk or something by now that never passed away? And, and <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a silly question to some no, that's it's maybe not into it. But no, I mean that seriously. These people are claiming that the mind has 100% control. Well, if it does, why are there not monks that live forever? And ironically, we do see Buddhist monks that live well into like the 110s, but they do pass away eventually. So I, I just like drawing the line between orthorexia and eating clean, um, where do we draw the line between... I, I know I've had beliefs that have given me acne when I did not need to get acne from it. I wasn't sensitive to the food. I was sensitive to the belief. But mm -hmm. then at the same time, I don't think that I can live forever, no matter how much mindset work I do. So how do you help clients draw the line between that one? A lot of it has to, comes down to what the client wants. What is their end goal? Who do they want to be and what identity do they want to have? And then also, where are they coming to me starting, starting at? Um, it's really, I mean, all systems communicate with each other. And so, you know, if I just picture it like a seesaw, and if you want the seesaw to be balanced, you can't dump everything into the mindset because now the physical stuff is all the way up in, you know, up in the air. And if you dump everything into the physical stuff, then the mindset stuff is all up in, up in the air. Um, so it really depends on the client. If I have a client who tend to is, trending towards, you know, the orthorexia stuff, then I will go in. And the first things that we will address is actually like a slow backing out of the protocols and getting them back to a baseline while we, it, it, it comes down to safety in the body, right? If your body doesn't perceive that, that it's, you're safe for it to heal, it's not going to heal. So it's, where is the, where do we need to put the most resources? Is your body not feeling safe because of the physical end of it? Or is your body not feeling safe because of the mindset behind it? And it's it's this game of finding the balance between the two. I mean, I do have Hashimoto's. That That is factual. My mindset is going to allow me to help it stay at a more neutral point. And I still take supplements and choose to, now it's a choice, choose to maintain a cleaner lifestyle than I had prior to. But with because of the mindset work I've done, I'm aware of the fact that I'm choosing to do that. I don't have to be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like a car; like you're, you, it needs gas and oil. Yes. <laughs> I, okay. I love both those analogies. I love the seesaw and I love the car thing. It's just, and and it's not. 
there's not a perfect line to be drawn either way, I suppose, right? I mean, we can use the analogy of the seesaw. It's like, I don't I don't know how to balance it fully. I just, I try to do my best to work on both things. And I think one of the things that we can do as, you know, functional health nerds that, you know, might really truly have had to be more restrictive than the average person at one time because it did make us feel the best and the alternative was not good. It's giving ourselves reasonable time to test things. If it's been five years mm-hmm. and you haven't touched a damn food, it might be time to give that a shot. And I know there's some things that to me like are never worth it. For me, the gluten thing, knowing I have a sensitivity, Same. knowing the science behind it, and that it really can trigger an immune reaction for three to six months. Uh, even if I could uh, will myself out of it with the mindset stuff, will will's not the right word, but even if I could get myself there mindset wise, I don't want to test that. That's not me. But the dairy thing, I have successfully brought that back in. Congratulations. Yeah, right. I went from thinking that a little tablespoon of butter was breaking me out, which again, maybe at one point it was to now my fiance and I are like sipping on raw milk every morning and (laughs) I'm eating yogurt and stuff. And I almost had to, this is Evan Transu science. This is not a study. So I'm not recommending this. Uh, Don't try it at home. I, I almost had to do this thing, Carly, where I was like, I'm just going to eat a ton of this. So last year, this was just a year Mm -hmm. ago, I just started eating a a little tub of yogurt, not excessive, but a little tub of yogurt every day because I figured this, I figured, all right, maybe it can trick me into getting like a little minor breakout like uh, like it would sometimes. There is no way, no way that my mind would allow me to just get erupted on my skin if it wasn't actually doing something. And you know what? Sure enough, maybe like a week went by and I kind of had some weird stuff. And the oddest thing was then that just went away. And I'm yeah. still eating the yogurt and I'm totally fine. And now I got awesome food back again. I love raw milk and I love yogurt, baby. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> and so, and it, and it's like something happened. My body healed, things calmed down. Yeah. And I'm just so curious how, who's your ideal client would actually be a better way to word what I was going to word because you're bringing two amazing skills to the table. It's usually one or the yeah. other. People usually either get like really deep into the mindset NLP stuff, or they get really dogmatic about the functional labs and you're bringing both of these together. So uh, who do you like to work with? I love doing the mindset stuff and utilizing the functional health to support the mindset. And so people who are ready to go all in, they want to transform and they know that they have some stuff that they need to work on to get there. The, the, it, it's just so fun to do the mind fun. It's like, it's not fun when you're doing it necessarily, but it can be. The mindset is so powerful and almost everybody that I've worked with has trauma trapped in their bodies. And so it is really working, getting to work with people who have a, a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder currently. It's a little bit easier when it's more of a history and But honestly, if you're currently struggling with an eating disorder and you're aware of the fact that you're struggling and you're ready to get help with it, there's so much we can do with the mind. And then with the FDN work, without even touching, like, let's say supplements and stuff, there is stuff with diet, rest, exercise and supplements that can be worked in. Because let's say they're in a restrictive place with diet, we get to work on the mindset to take them out of that restriction. That is so freeing. Yeah. That's that's really cool. I'm curious with the people that you've worked with then, and I'm just going off statistics. We do know that most eating disorders are overrepresented in women. Uh, men deal with them. Newsflash <laughs> to everyone if you didn't know. Uh, but they are overrepresented in women. Have you seen any common um, histories or common personality themes in these people even oh, like yeah. yourself who have dealt with this? Because you mentioned the word control. Um, and <laughs> I know there's, there's very... Uh, unassuming uh, correlations between stuff like for it, because I've been in the mental health mm-hmm. space. So for example, uh, people that have, or women that have anorexia specifically are more likely to get 4.0s. Um, I was just going to say perfectionism. When, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really interesting stuff. It, it, again, we're using so many wrong adjectives, right? You're like fun. I'm not saying interesting as in, ah, yes, <laughs> you're at the end, it's fun. <laughs> yes. Right. But the, the science out. side of it is it's like, okay, that's, that's kind of strange on the surface, at least to the untrained mind that this person is struggling so badly um, with eating in their body, but then at the same time can maintain these insane grades. So you mentioned perfectionism there. Do you think that's a blanket, uh, correlation between a lot of the personnel or, um, the, um, Oh, I mean, everything I, or what? Yeah, it's all going to be generalizations. Um, a lot, a lot of, um, especially with orthorexia and anorexia, and even I'd say binge eating and bulimia, a lot of it is, um, either is either repressed emotion, shame, shame is a huge one. 
So something I just learned in the trauma course that I'm taking is that when perfectionism shows up, it is shame that is running the show. And so as part of the work that I do, um, I would call it, fall it under the category of stress reduction with, with our FDN protocol is emotional processing. And so helping to release shame, to recognize shame, where do you feel that in the body? How is it manifesting as your, your, the physical symptoms are there to talk to us? They are representations of what is going on, whether it is physically, internally, or mindset, emotionally, internally. And honestly, it's all related to each other. It's all connected. It's now manifesting as physical symptoms and they're there to talk to. And so let's go talk to those, those emotions. Let's go talk to the physical sensations. Let's go talk to the acne on your face and figure out what is it there for? What it's, it's serving some sort of purpose or it thinks it is. Yeah. And it's running on outdated software. So, uh, yeah. So shame is a really uh, this un and a lot of the, a lot of the times they don't even realize how much they're being ruled by shame because they're an eating disorder really is a form of numbing. It's it's you're numbing you're overriding your body's internal natural systems, right? You're you're overriding your hunger cues, which then relates to hormones because is it grem, gremlin gremlin? It's a hunger hormone, yeah. Yeah, that's a hormone. Um, you're overriding a lot of your neurotransmitter signals. Oh, one of my favorite panels, and I will run this panel nine times out of 10. So whether you're, no matter what stage you're at um, with disordered eating, the neuro panel is super validating as well, because with an eating disorder, the neurotransmitters are going to be out of balance. So sometimes the neurotransmitters being out of balance, which we, we me, you and I, and most of the people listening probably know, if you do get a physical stressor in your body, um, like a parasite or a bacteria, and it goes unnoticed, and we start getting the metabolic chaos from it, that because it's affecting your gut, and a lot of your neurotransmitters are produced in your gut, that is going to offset your neurotransmitters, and your neurotransmitters can now be creating such an imbalance that's communicating to you and, and manifesting, and the symptom can be disordered eating or obsessive compulsive thinking. And um, but typically, the people who are predisposed to that manifestation of symptom then cascading into it being uh, disordered eating or an eating disorder, a lot of them do have trauma in the past or generational trauma. And um, there's just so many layers under it. It's, it's like the eating disorder is, a ma- is the mask. Yeah. I really wish um, people took it more seriously, I think it's one of those ones. And listen, there's so much ignorance around a lot of chronic health issues, especially mental health ones. Uh, and, and I, and I get it. I really do. People just don't know what they don't know. I don't know what I don't know, but I think people look at the eating disorders in particular and almost act like it's a damn choice. Like, Oh, why don't you just change Mm -hmm. this? I was shocked when I heard this several years ago. So anorexia is one of the mental health disorders, which there are a lot of, there's tons of mental health stuff. It's one of the mental health disorders that is most associated with fatalities. Fancy way of saying, like, a ton of people die. Like, more than any other mental health issue, anorexia kills people. It's like, that's not just for attention, folks. Like, that's really, this is real to the person experiencing it. Yeah, well, and that's part of where the line, the line between is it an eating disorder or is it just eating it really clean or Mm -hmm. is living a healthy, clean lifestyle is that feeling of having a choice over it is no longer there. I, I didn't feel like I was choosing to eat the way that I was eating and think the way that I was thinking. And I mean, it it was obsessively working out. It was every moment of the day, even when I was, t- I was teaching at this point, every moment of the day was being consumed by, it was either a thought about food, a thought about my body, whether it was the physical appearance of my body or the physical sensations in my body. When am I going to get to work out? I can't wait to leave work so I can go on a jog. Um, and then what, what's the next lab I can run? What's the next? And I was really anal about my supplements, which I was really proud about at first. So, you know, things it's, it's behaviors that are like, I would love to be the, this. I was so proud of my supplements, but then at some point it did turn into where the line crossed was when I was starting to get the anxiety over if I missed the supplement or what, like, um, thinking that I was sabotaging my entire, you know, three months worth of work because I missed an omega isn't going to like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy because we go from, especially when we're on that standard American diet, we mm-hmm. go from like the worst things that you could possibly eat. And I, I always forget, we're very lucky we have a global podcast here. So standard Western diet, let's call it. We are eating so wrong compared to what our, you know, creator or nature or universe, whatever you want to call it, intended that 
going even 20% in the right direction is amazing. But then we like flip it 180, like we're eating yeah. organic, we're doing all this stuff. And then, yeah, we think the supplement that we missed that day, that's going to be the problem. It's like, dude, look at what you were doing a year ago before you started this, right? You think this is the main issue? It's like you're light years ahead of where you were. And so as we kind of get into like roughly the last seven, 10 minutes of the podcast here, I'd, I'd love to know how long have you been working, first of all, as like a coach slash FDM? Um, I had my a little less than a year. Okay, cool. And so, the way that you talk though, and, and just your expertise, it does sound like you have some experience with this stuff. So you're working with clients. Is this something you do full-time yet? Yeah, it's full-time. It's, it's weird to say that it's only been 10 months because it does feel like I've been doing this for, I've, it feels like I've been doing it for at least three years. Well, it sounds like that. I, well, it actually sounds like a lot more than three years. So that's very cool. It's obviously something you love. I, I'd love to know to the degree that you're able to share, uh, because privacy, I get that. Um, what's one of like the coolest success stories that you have with someone coming to you that maybe was suffering with this disordered eating or an eating disorder? And you know, you guys are doing the full thing. You're doing the labs. You're doing the mindset stuff. And you just help them flip their life around. Oh, my gosh. This is cool. I had a client come to me specifically for that reason. And we worked together... It was for for four months and she was living in her mom's at her parents' house and um, she didn't really know what she wanted to be doing with career. We were specifically working on her eating disorder or or the lingering effects of her eating disorder. And we got through that like really fast. And then now she, she just moved. She started a new career. She started, um, She's doing coursework, which also incorporates NLP languaging into it, which is really fun. And so she literally, when did we finish working? I think we finished working together in October and she moved states. She, she, she literally moved states. That's awesome. So you yeah. gave her a life back. Like basically, yeah, that's what she happened. gave herself her life back. She very, okay, she very, so well said, yeah. very well said. I was trying to give you credit. You're too humble, but, <laughs> and, but you're also right. You're, you're literally right. We are just guides and we provide tools just like guides and tools were provided to us. And it, you know, it, it has to be the person uh, making the decision because we've all worked with people that the results weren't there, but it wasn't because of something that we didn't do is because, okay, this person wasn't ready uh, for this. Or maybe, you know, myself, I'm not as deep into the mindset work as you. Maybe I couldn't provide them, uh, frankly, with what they needed to get to that next level. But yeah, it, it is we can bless people by giving them the information, kind of showing them the light, so to speak, but what you choose to do after it with it, uh, that that's a personal thing. And I, I say this a million times on this podcast, or I've said it a million times, this health thing is as much, if not way more a personal development journey than it is a health journey. The health journey is the outside manifestation of it, but the personal mm-hmm. development side, that's the deeper things. Any, if you think about it, it's fairly straightforward if you have the the instructions to change your diet or take a supplement protocol. It's not the most complex thing in the world. And yet people take months to integrate it. Properly. Well, that's what's so cool too, is like you're kind of just following your own breadcrumbs because gluten-free breadcrumbs, of course. Yes. yes. <laughs> FDM jokes, right? Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> Nailed it. Nope. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I started with physical, technically I started with men- because of mental health stuff, but really my, my functional journey started with, very, very standard um, protocols. And it led from one place to the other. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So then I know we had, we'd kind of said it before, but I asked it in a different way. So as we're wrapping up, I want to obviously shout out where people can find you, especially because there is no one off the top of my head that's ringing a bell uh, in terms of actually mixing both of these things together as one practitioner. We've had people do the things individually, but mixing it together in one uh, for the right client, this is an amazing one-stop shop and it could save them a lot of money and a lot of time. So just to go back to the question of who your ideal person is, do you work with both women and men or is it uh, men or women of a specific age? I'd love to know what that ideal oh. person looks like just so if they're listening, yes. they know like, all right, this is my person. So also, I don't only work with with women who have an eating disorder or disordered eating. I'm really, I really work with anyone who is like wanting to be or do or have something that they don't have and like ready to go all in to get that transformation. So within that, I do specialize with women who have disordered eating and eating disorders, but it's so far all of my clients have been women. Um, they're roughly between the ages of 20 and maybe pre premenopausal. Um, so I'd say between 30 and maybe 45 would be around the upper limit, depending on what they're coming for. 
And um, it's funny though, because recently I have had two inquiries from, from men that have really opened up my mind. Hmm. And one of them that is just super cool that I like, I'm really hoping turns into something. It was because of some, I don't want to go too, too much detail, but it was one of the mental health disorders that he is struggling with just falls so much in alignment with, um, with uh, integrative family systems, which is parts, internal family systems, which is parts work, which is something I'm, I'm trained to do. Okay. So yeah, does that, did that answer the question? Yeah, no, no. It, it, and then some, right. It just shows that actually in theory, anyone that's dealing with a certain amount of things could be perfect for you. Um, so hopefully that leads them to want to inquire. And if they did want to do that, where can they <laughs> find you and what you're up to? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Carly in focus. All right, cool. And we'll have someone drop that in the comments below and then we'll share it with everyone on video. And then obviously if you're listening on audio, we will have that in the show notes as always. Now with that all said, um, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on today. We've never actually had someone, I don't even know if the word orthorexia has been uttered on here, mm -hmm. uh, but I've wanted to discuss this for a while and it's something we probably can do 10 podcasts on because oh, yeah. I, I don't always know where to draw the line. Um, I don't even know if the experts know where to draw the line sometimes. Cause I have a friend and, and she has always shared her stuff publicly with um, myself. We've done podcasts together. Her name's Lily. And I'll, I'll never forget. She's the one that changed my mindset on this the most. So Lily did not have any stereotypical chronic health issues, but she did have uh, certainly disordered eating and eating disorders. Now, Lily eats, eats now a lot of things that are super healthy, like super FDN type stuff, but she also integrates into her diet stuff that is very, very uh, Western society. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and that girl looks and is healthier than I have ever seen her in my life. We went to high school together. And so for some people, it's just, it's finding that right line for you. If I did what she's doing right now, no, I really can't do like the gluten thing specifically. That mm -hmm. wouldn't work for me and it wouldn't work for my mom. For Lily, she is objectively the healthiest physically and mentally and spiritually she's ever been. So find that line or work with someone like Carly who can help you uh, get the seesaw right, right? Even better. Yeah. Go back to that analogy, <laughs> get the right levels on the seesaw so that you have that balance in your life and you know where it can be drawn. Um, I don't know if you listen to the end of any of the podcasts. I won't take offense. But if you didn't, you don't know our signature question. And so the signature question on the show, my friend, to finish up today is if we could give you a magic wand and you could wave it and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health. So that means you could force us all to start doing one thing <laughs> or you can force us all to stop doing one thing. And this is just for general health. Doesn't have to be about eating disorders. Now, what is the one thing that Carly gets us to do? Oh, can I do two? Please. Okay. The first one is just take a step. Just take the next step and trust that you know what that step is and take it. Mm -hmm. And the second one is learn to process your emotions. Thank you so much for coming on today and just bringing this new topic. I hope that people that needed to hear you today um, reach out because I have, as someone who's worked in the mental health space, this is so prevalent. It's almost overwhelming uh, to a degree mm -hmm. when you realize the scale of it. And uh, I don't think they know people out there or people like you are out there. So the more that we can expose the world to people like you, the more help we can get for them and uh, the bigger and better things we can do. So thank, thank you. For you. Your time. You're welcome. <laughs>